Well, uh, good morning to you, Christ Central. On this first Sunday worship service at this beautiful new venue, I want to personally thank God and for all of you and people who made this possible, this change. And I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. I do want to say a quick prayer, give all the glory, express our gratitude as well as our dependence upon God. So just join me uh, in this word of prayer. Okay, let's pray together as we go into his word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. God, my heart is filled with amazement at your mercy and faithfulness. Father, we thank you that you have brought us here. I thank you for all the many hands who have served, who make this transition possible. We thank you for the warm welcome of Hope International University. God, we thank you for the many people who have been praying. We thank you for our AV, uh, our AV team, those who have been working with our operations, our worship team, our children's ministry, our communication, Father, all of the staff, and most of all, all the people that you have purposed and planned to so touch and bless through your gospel here at Hope. Father, we pray now that as we open your word, that you would bless the vision that you have burned upon our hearts, that Christ Central would see changed lives, lives would be utterly changed as we worship Christ in community with your compassion. Hear us, we pray, especially now as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to continue this real-life relationship series. We're going to talk about great mis-expectations today. And we're going to start at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. And then two more verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. I'll read this for us. This is Apostle Paul. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, and then just a couple books over in a letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 5, verses 31, 32, also be projected overhead. This is a famous passage among those who have been familiar with the scriptures. Apostle Paul, his masterpiece on marriage, verses 31, 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay, this is God's word. Great misexpectations, great misexpectations. I've got four. Just going to look at them, address them through the word of God, through scriptures. Number one, number one. There's one perfect match for me. There's one perfect soulmate. There's one perfect fit that God has prepared for me. Now you see, when Apostle Paul talks about we've got to come against lofty opinions, we have to take down arguments, I do think we should start here. I think this is a very popular, dominant, false assumption that there is a perfect match out there when it comes to love and possibly marriage. 
We might call this the romantic ideal. I would call it a relational unicorn. And as long as this lie persists, I'm afraid to tell you, it'll produce people who are going to be hypercritical, non-committal, too idealistic, frankly speaking, too immature when it comes to real-life relationships. The notion that there is one perfect person fit for me will set you up for radical heartbreak and disappointment and eventual failure. And I do feel for you in this day and age, in 2018, actually for the last 10 to 20 years, uh, FOMO is real. Fear of missing out. FOMO is so for real. It affects me, even in middle age. When my wife and I have to decide to, where, where should we eat? Something as simple as that. Well, what do you feel like? We have to go through all the Yelp reviews. We got to read how many stars. We look through all the pictures. And it actually takes us an enormous amount of time and stress and even little fights that break out because what are we doing? What are we doing? We're trying to make sure that we pick the best place at the best value for our mood at that time. Well, how about shopping? How about watching a simple movie on Netflix? How about deals and events and parties and jobs and even churches, I think we're a generation filled with overload of anxiety and stress because it boils down to this, this tension. How do you know if you pick the best one? I mean, how do you know if you pick the most excellent one at the best value or price? How do you know that there's not going to be a better deal tomorrow right around the corner? And this is where my heart as a pastor really feels for you when it comes to love relationships and possibly choosing a marriage partner. It's how do you go from like swiping through candidates on a daily basis on dating apps to one day, I'm just gonna shut down all the options. There's no one better around the corner and I'm gonna make an exclusive lifelong commitment to one person. You see, if you misexpect, and if all your life you have believed in the fairy tale that there's one perfect soulmate that God has set apart for you, I'm afraid to tell you this is nowhere found in the scriptures. You know, back when I grew up, 80s and 90s, we didn't have dating apps, we didn't have phones. You would literally have to actually approach a living, breathing human person and you'd have to like make your way to that person and actually talk to them face to face. And of course, some cold sweat would break out. You'd probably rehearsed your speech. Some of you are spiritual, actually fasted and prayed before that moment. And you actually have to talk to a person and say silly things like, like, do you want to go around? That was the 80s. Or the 90s, you want to become my boyfriend or girlfriend? I don't know what you say today. Do you just want to hook up? I don't know what that means exactly. But anyways, you have to talk to people. And you see, at least what that did when I grew up was that it seriously limited your options. It slowed your role. Like, it forced you to slow your pace. And the many times that it didn't work out, after you exposed yourself like that, it took a lot of time to recover. It's like traumatic. It's like PTSD. 
You just got to rest. You got to recover. And so at, in, at least in those days, without the advantages or the speed of technology, none of us were running around all the time thinking, oh, there's always going to be someone better. In fact, back in college, a lot of the older classmen knew you got to wait a whole year until a new class comes in if you failed this year. <laughs> so this great misexpectation that there's always going to be someone better, someone perfect, someone ideal for me, let me let you in on a dirty little secret. It's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. It's backed by human experience in every single relationship. And it is echoed in any book or program or weekend or therapy or counseling, premarital or postmarital, that is of any value to you when it comes to actual real life relationships. Here's the dirty little secret there's no such thing. Nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. There's no perfect fit for you, and neither are you. The Holy Scriptures, backed by actual experience, tell us over and over and over again this doctrine called the doctrine of sin. Now, the doctrine of sin simply means this, that you and I will live for myself before I live for anybody else. That's the root problem of all social relationships gone amok. That I will live for myself before I live for anyone else. Most of all, I will live for myself before I live for God. You know, in 2016, in a New York Times article, I heard this from another sermon. An author by the name of Alain de Poton wrote an article entitled, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And here's how he began. It's one of the things we are most afraid might happen to us. We go to great lengths to avoid it, and yet we do it all the same. We marry the wrong person. Now, how does that author conclude? Compatibility is an achievement of love. It must not be its precondition. Romanticism has been unhelpful to us. It is a harsh philosophy. It has made a lot of what we go through in marriage seem exceptional and appalling. We end up lonely and convinced that our union with its imperfections is not normal. We should learn to accommodate ourselves to quote-unquote wrongness. How marvelous of this author, 2016. And I heard that in that entire year, this was the most read article of any article in the New York Times. Now, Please try to recall what 2016 was like. There was a new president of the U.S. of A. Quite a lot of controversy about that. There was an event called Brexit. But yet, people ate this article up. And a lot of people thought how novel and profound that you will always end up marrying the wrong person. Can I tell you? that this was long available before in the Holy Scriptures, but people are just coming around to realize, oh, wrongness is normal. Our fights and struggles and our incompatibilities is actually normal. It's not appalling, we're not alone. And I think the reason why people ate up this article like no other is that in all of our closest loving relationships, we do experience wrongness and we have no clue what to do with it. Do with it. You know, I think my favorite line 
toward the conclusion. I think it's an exquisite part where the author wrote, compatibility is an achievement of love. It must not be its precondition. Can I confess something to you? Before I got married, as a pastor, seminary theologically trained, I did not know that. I really had never even heard of that. I did not believe that. I thought Sonny was going to be compatible with me. I thought that's a prerequisite. It's not a product. And many people in this room, as long as you believe that compatibility is not something you achieve, but it's something that you should just expect, I assure you, you're going to go, go up against the blades. You're just going to go against all the reality and the truth of the matter that there is no perfect match out there. Only imperfect, really flawed, very messed up ones. You know, the Holy Scriptures, my friends, the Bible has timelessly always held true. And the Scriptures, divinely inspired, know us and our relationships better than any psychologist, therapist, counselors, educator, professor, or doctor. And the scriptures have never had to fudge. They've never had to edit. They've never had to change. And the scriptures, loud and clear, through authors who are filled with the scriptures, tell us over and over and over things like this, like G.K. Chesterton. I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. The whole aim of marriage is to fight through and survive the instant when incompatibility becomes unquestionable. So that's the first great mis-expectation. That there's an ideal fit, there's a perfect match for me. Now, all lies beget more lies. All false assumptions and beliefs produce more false beliefs. And Apostle Paul comes with the Holy Spirit and with the scriptures and says, we got to take those false arguments and lofty opinions down. And we need to cleanse, reprogram our minds so that every thought would be obedient to the Lord of truth, Jesus Christ. But you see, if you believe the first one, that there's one perfect ideal match for me, it's just going to lead to the second great mis-expectation. I mean, it's just guaranteed. You see, the second great mis-expectation is marriage will make me happy forever. Marriage will complete me and make me happy forever. It should and it better. You see, if there's one perfect match for me, God has prepared that one perfect ideal match for me, then when we get married, it should be married happily forever. It better do that. But when it doesn't, when it doesn't, and guaranteed it won't, how do we handle that? You know, this thing called marriage used to be understood as a public institution for the common good. It was to serve the community. It was never understood as a private arrangement for two individuals. Never before has marriage then been more about me than in our day and age. Tim Keller, in a magnificent book entitled The Meaning of Marriage, he observed, both men and women today see marriage not as a way of creating character and community, but as a way to reach personal life goals. 
They are all looking for a marriage partner who will fulfill their emotional, sexual, and spiritual desires. Anthropologist Edward Westermark, in a book entitled The History of Human Marriage, explains three absolute trends or three absolute realities in the history of human marriage. Number one, marriage has always involved men and women, equal but different, men and women. Number two, marriage has existed from primitive times in all human societies. And number three, marriage has always existed to serve someone else. Marriage has always existed to serve the family or the broader community. It has never existed for individuals to be personally happy and satisfied. Westermark and other anthropologists tell us that marriage has always been about the next generation, the broader community, or if you do have them, the well-being of your children. There were no exceptions. There were no exceptions. Now, my friends, why has that been universally true for thousands and thousands of millennia of years? Is this like um, just a right-wing religious indoctrination? Is this something only the Fox News Channel would broadcast? Is this something where people all got together and say, oh, let's just force something that would make people so miserable, make them feel like they're trapped? Far from it. Love and marriage, whether you're religious or not, has always transcended politics, education, philosophy, culture, and law. Because it is foundational for civilization, human reproduction and flourishing. And I tell you, that's all by divine design. It's all by divine design. The first great misexpectation is there's a perfect match for me. There's dating apps called that. That leads to the second great misexpectation. Well, marriage will complete me then and make me happy forever. You know, on Tuesday, my wife, Sunny, got sick. My wife rarely gets sick, so much so that she has to take a half day off of work. She came home. She was ridden in bed with a stomach bug, basically slept and lived near the toilet for a couple days. It was really sad to see. Well, that Tuesday night, I had to come home early, take care of the girls, and I finished my daddy duty by buying them Chick-fil-A for dinner. They devoured that thing. The few moments where they said, I love you, daddy. Thank you, daddy. I was downstairs chilling, watching TV, finishing up my dinner. My wife was still upstairs, just laid out sick. And I can hear one of my daughters coming downstairs. And as her dad, I know which daughter it is. I don't even have to look. It's the pacing. It's the way the stairs sound. I just know which one this is. It was the youngest one. Elizabeth came down to me while I was finishing up my dinner. And here's what she said. Daddy, mommy is wondering why you didn't offer to get her anything. I look back at Elizabeth. Go back upstairs and tell mom, tell mom, I was very poised, very nice. Tell mom, Sonny, tell me what you want, I'll go get it. So she marches upstairs, a quiet little conversation. I hear her lumbering down. She comes back to me, and here's what she told me. Mommy said, well, I can't eat anything right now. (laughs) 
I was like, oh. <laughs> I was not happy. I was really, really disturbed. And I thought to myself, we're married 15 years, and my wife still expects that I read her mind perfectly. I can read her mind better, but I do not read it perfectly. And I know she cannot read my mind. Thank God. <laughs> but Sonny and I aren't happy all the time. But after a moment of irritation, I did laugh out loud. I'm not talking about the emoji. I did not text anyone. I literally laughed out loud. I laughed for a couple of minutes because I said, look at how happy and free and weird you've become. This is incredible that this won't bother you as much as anymore. First, miss expectation. There's a perfect match for me. Second, marriage will complete me and make me happy forever. Well, then here's third. Here's third. After marriage, it's all downhill. And you're sitting there, and you just heard that illustration from your pastor, and you say, you see, you just confirmed it. That's why I don't want to get married. I don't want to be like you, Harold. Look at what you go through. Those of you who are smart, you're like, I don't want to be like Sunny. Look at what she has to go through. After marriage, it's all downhill. And now, you know, truth be told, truth be told, after that silly Chick-fil-A incident, in about the first five years of marriage, Sonny and I probably guaranteed we would have fought. Guaranteed we would have fought. I would have gone upstairs, even while she was sick. And I would have said some things. And then we would have gone back and forth. And then we would have fought long and hard and stupid and stubborn. And then forget why we even fought in the first place. Now we've been married 15 years, we just have no fight left. <laughs> no, it's that in the next 10 years, we pick our fights better, we know which are the things worth fighting about, and we have grown in so many different ways where I cannot imagine that the happiness, you wanna just talk about pure happiness that I felt 15, 16 years ago? Walking down the aisle, marrying her, that cannot compare. Cannot compare to the average happiness that I feel now, even after she does that to me with Chick-fil-A. After marriage, it's all downhill. Who says? Who says? Well, in a Yahoo forum, of course, a 24-year-old, unmarried, that's what she says. She threw out there, at least 70% of married people must be miserable. Tim Keller comes back and he cites all these surveys that tell us, no, about 60 to 61% of married people say they are very happy. Two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy if they stay together just longer than five years. Healthier Higher degree of satisfaction, married people report. They're better off financially and emotionally and psychologically. Why would this be? Because people have learned to save and to serve and sacrifice and to be changed and practice the lost art of delayed gratification. You know, Apostle Paul, in that piece in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says a man will leave his father and mother, leave, cleave to his wife and unite and become one flesh 
And right after that famous verse, here's what he says. This is a mystery. What I'm talking about here is a divine mystery. And I'll tell you, for a lot of us, it still is a mystery. We don't know what love is, do we? Really? We don't know what we really signed up for when we got married, did we? Apostle Paul says, when you enter into this public divine institution called marriage, where a man and a woman, equal but different, do you know what the whole point of that is? It was never primarily about you. It was never primarily about this is a perfect match for you. No. It was about two equal but broken and different people learning to love one another so much so that they would give their very life away. That's the mystery. And only on the other side of that, only on the other side of give up my life for you, I will not live for myself first, but I will live for you first. Beginning with God on the other side of that, my friends, is a joy that no money can buy. Is a blessedness, is a divine smile, a pleasure and a significance and fulfillment that this world may not yet really understand because it's a mystery. I know couples in which early on, where usually, I'm sorry, it is the husband, but no wives too, where spouses have been unfaithful and they got caught and absolutely, and I, the wreckage and the year and times it takes to try to forgive and recover from that, I don't know if I could ever fathom. But I will tell you this, so many of those couples where you thought it should be called quits, it should break up, there's no way it's gonna be all downhill from here. I'm happy to report to you, I know at least two couples very, very close to me who are happier than they could have ever thought than when they first went through that season of heartache and betrayal and wreckage. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. See, here's what's mysterious about it. A lot of guys, you're just after attractiveness. Oh, myself included. You're just after attractiveness. Oh, she's hot. She's hot. That's it. But that beautiful woman will cease to be beautiful when she is not kind, not gentle, not forgiving. My friend, you just want a hot woman? You know, all that hotness will turn in wrath against you when you mess up. Ladies, you want a hot guy? How handsome. It helps if he's really rich too. He's hot and wealthy. I cannot believe it together and he happens to go to church. But you know, all that handsomeness and all that wealth will become utterly ugly to you if he shares that with someone else. I'll tell you how marriage doesn't have to go downhill. I'll tell you how marriage can go uphill. I'll tell you how marriage can increase in affection and satisfaction, and you can actually 
grow in love for one another. And I'll tell you, it's really singular. It's proven over and over and over and over again with my wife. It's called godliness. It's called godliness. A godly person who is able to see you or catch you or know you inside out with all of your shame, all of your sinfulness, all of your vanity, all of your pride, all of your vindictiveness, all of that junk that has really always been there. But when that person can look you all the way down and still continue to love you and love you even more after that, I'll tell you, that's singularly why I love my wife more today than I ever have. She could not become more attractive. There's nothing more intoxicating than a godly person. Try it out. If you marry a godly person, attractions will only increase. Oh, this third, third great misexpectation. After marriage, it's all downhill. After marriage, it's all downhill. Can I just suggest to you? Yeah, it's all downhill because that relationship is devoid of Christ. Can I ask you, is your relationship with Jesus Christ all downhill? Should your relationship with Jesus Christ be all downhill? Oh, absolutely not. And if Jesus Christ be central in any relationship, how then can that relationship just be all downhill? Here's a third great misexpectation that the scriptures detox and cleanse us against. And here's the fourth, last one. Number one, there's one perfect match for me. Number two, marriage must complete me, make me happy forever. Number three, after marriage, it's all downhill. Number four is this. If you aren't married, never been married, or you don't get married, something must be wrong with you. Something must be wrong with you. And I hear from old friends who are gals in Asian American circles, and when they go visit their grandparents or they go to church gatherings at large Asian churches, all the gals tell me the same. The first question they're asked is, are you married? How many kids you have? That's like all they talk about. And that, my friend, is a cultural idol that is nowhere from God. That something must be wrong with you if you're not married. Listen, the author of Ephesians chapter 5, the masterpiece on marriage, himself was not married. He gave us the Monet, a beautiful painting. But the painter himself has not experienced what he is talking about here. And then you get no hint from the life of the painter, Apostle Paul, that he feels incomplete or deficient or he has some insecurity or he's like less than and always envious of other people who are married. No, no, no. In fact, he goes reverse. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he writes down. He says, I wish most of you were more like me. He's talking about marital status. He goes out and says, most of you should stay singularly committed and devoted you might be better off to serve Christ and expand his kingdom. And it is this man who gave us the masterpiece on leave and cleave and become one flesh and marriage is a divine mystery. You see, if you're not married or you never do get married, you are in elite company. You're in the company of Apostle Paul. And even better, you're in the company of Jesus Christ. 
the church here at Christ Central, or the Church of Jesus Christ, aches and aims to be a community of people where your relational status really does not matter. The church is the people of God, a family that will transcend nuclear families, where your relational status pales in comparison to your relational status to Jesus. Where there is no one really that lonely and single and alone. Love and marriage are divine mysteries that are unlocked by the love of Jesus Christ. Marriage is a very, very good thing. But it's far from everything. Marriage is a beautiful blessing. But it's far from being the best thing. The ultimate and best thing that God ever did or will do is that through his son, Jesus Christ, who stayed single and pure and devoted and committed and resolute to capture hearts, take captive every thought, every heart, every mind, every soul, every body in obedience to him. My friend, you're looking at a person, the little older he gets, the depths of my need, I shudder and think about how deep it goes. I am darker and deeper and needier and more desperate and broken and lonely and insecure and yet more aspiring and capable and spiritual and dreamy than any human being could ever handle. And there's only one person who lives up to and surpasses all the hype that's the person of Jesus Christ. The divine mystery of love and marriage is only Jesus Christ can unlock it and fill it. Every single person, I'm not talking about marital status there though, I'm talking about every individual ever beloved by Jesus, you're gonna see someday you missed out on nothing you were never on plan B. You're always on plan A if you get to love Jesus. Everything he has is yours. <laughs> Everything you are is his. This is the fairy tale that comes true. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that by the power of your word, You would challenge and you would cleanse and you would change us inside out when it comes to love and marriage. Jesus, please take captive every thought. Replace the lies with truth. Replace the false expectations and assumptions with your word, with your will, with your purpose, and with your smile. Hear us, we pray this day, as we continue to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.